Hello and welcome to this Drum Network podcast on Performance Marketing 101. This is the latest in our series of Marketing Industry Back to Basics. We have got some performance marketing experts here who are going to give us a primer on what performance marketing looks like in 2023 going on 2024. What sort of things do performance marketers do? What levers do they have to pull? Is it fair to think of performance and brand separately? Or should this generation's marketers think about it a little bit differently? And I've got four very experienced performance marketing guests with me who I am now going to ask to introduce themselves. James. Thanks, Nikki. I'm James Deegan. I'm a lead digital strategist at Ernest and we're an award-winning B2B marketing agency. Hi, Nikki. I'm Hannah. I'm paid media director at Geoing. I've over eight years experience in the digital media space, both within the UK and New Zealand. Hi, Nikki. I'm Bethan Gibson. I'm media director at Space and Time and we're a growth marketing agency across the UK. Hi, Nikki. Uh, I'm Alex uh, and I am the head of performance for Don't Be Shy, which is a B2B digital agency based in Manchester. Super. Okay. So I'm hearing in these job titles, performance and media, which leads us on really to the question, what is performance marketing? Is it simply media, which is bought with a goal in mind um, and you pay for the performance or is it much, much more than that? I think this is always an interesting question because um, I don't know about the rest of you, but to me, I don't look at performance as uh, channels specific. Um, So there's obviously channels like PPC that perform better for driving conversions compared to other channels like display. Um, But performance marketing to me is just making sure that you're engaging and interacting with your audience in the right way. Um, So based on the environment that they're in. Um, So basically that's, you know getting in front of the right audience at the right time with the right message um performance marketing to me as well is also about just making sure you've got the right tools in place to measure effectiveness um and making sure that you know exactly what you're wanting to get um from whether it's a campaign or an always on strategy whatever that might be um from the offset so yeah it's interesting because when when you hear the word performance people kind of automatically go to channel specific um I don't know if anybody else agrees with that, but um, to me, it's a lot yeah, more broader I'd, than I'd, that. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I, I almost think that sometimes performance is is the wrong word to to use. As marketers, we we want every single output and every single thing that we do to perform. So it's it's almost a redundant word. Um, and there's no reason why a performance marketer, a performance person, can't get involved in in every department and every output within an agency or or in house or business. So completely agree. Yeah, I, th- I think performance marketing is in a really interesting state at the moment because people are starting to have a look at, um, I think, as you said in the intro, Nikki, that, that sort of role of performance and, and brand marketing. I, th- I think performance marketing is probably typically been looking at that cost per lead, cost per sale, cost per acquisition, where you can sort of measure a directly, um, uh, yeah, I guess, a direct response or a direct um, action from uh, from a particular channel, as, as you said, Hannah. Um, but I think at Ernest, what we do is we, we talk a lot to clients in terms of what are the levers that we can pull through a uh, through a variety of um, campaign mechanics to to really infl- improve and influence the flow of results. Yeah, I would just add to that in that I think that it's evolving slightly. And I think to everyone else's point, performance or all media and marketing has always been performance driven. We wouldn't do it otherwise. Um, but I think now there's um, added pressure to kind of measure the that result. So whereas in the past, you might have kind of just you know, put out your marketing and hoped for the best. 
there's a lot both to kind of from an agency point of view and definitely from a client point of view kind of more pressure now to kind of understand exactly what your marketing is delivering and what it's paying back um, and I think that's kind of where there's we're seeing a growth and we're hearing more about the actual term performance marketing. Yeah, and, and so I'm hearing, you know, cost per acquisition, cost per install, cost per lead, cost per sale. Um, is it typically the down that lower end of the funnel or actually should performance marketing still include brand marketing and it's just another aspect of performance, impressions, awareness, uh, reach? I think it is probably more lower down the funnel. Other people might disagree because arguably those things are easier to measure. The difficulty you have with further up the funnel, if you're looking at things like awareness or consideration, you know, they're a lot more difficult to kind of show, you know, what you what impact you've made in those areas. And therefore, it's harder to attribute your marketing to to the performance in those sectors. So I think, you know, from a measurement point of view, it's those channels and those things lower down the funnel where we can definitely use data to show exactly what how many sales have been delivered, how many clicks how many impressions um and that's yeah it's it comes down to a measurement thing what you can tangibly show that the media has um, delivered i agree i think um no matter if it's brand or performance like current conversations that we're having with clients and i'm assuming you're having the same conversations is every little bit of budget needs to be signed off now by the cfo and it needs to be backed up with okay if we invest this what's going to be the direct impact of that and what's the return we're going to get from that so i think yeah we've no matter if it is awareness or performance um i agree with bethan on on the point of you know you're able to get more attributed data from performance but even with awareness now we are wanting you know as agencies to be able to provide that return to clients so again making sure you've got those measurement tools in place to measure the effectiveness of it and at JWIN what what we what we do when we get a brief is we we make sure that whatever we're suggesting with with uh, budget investment we're tying it back to okay how can we measure the wider impact on that so whether that's looking at marketing mix modeling econometrics looking at attribution models like you mentioned um because that's not only going to you know help you get the budget sign off but it's also going to help you inform on future strategies for the future and know exactly where to invest that budget um so yeah i think it's more about looking at okay what wider business decisions can i make based on the data that i've got yeah, I, I think as well, as well um, you, we, I think it was you, Beth, and you made the point that um, if media didn't work, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't be recommending it. And, and I think that's a very good one because we talk a lot at, at Ernest about some of the marketing science that sits particularly in, in B2B where, where you're dealing with obviously a very complex purchase. But um, you know, the 95-5 rule um, that uh, LinkedIn and the B2B Institute have, have sort of researched and, and produced, which is... 95% of customers aren't in market um, at the time that, you know, at any one time. So you need to be thinking about, I guess, the longer term implications of just focusing, if you are focusing on that sort of engaged customer, the cost per lead, the cost per sale approach. And I think the other thing we love here at, um, at Ernest is the um, the research that Byron Sharp's done from the um, Ehrenberg Bass Institute. And he talks about mental availability, that the first, um, you know, the first search engine is the one in your mind. So if you just focus on those customers, that perhaps traditionally have been, you know, considered the performance end, the, you know, the PPC, the, the display activity, maybe content syndication could fall into that um, category. You're actually ignoring perhaps a, a much broader opportunity and, and you're going to start to run into um, you know, challenges in, in probably the short to medium term where, where those customers that you have been talking to, um, you know, ultimately buy the product, but you, you haven't really thought about what comes next. And um, I think that's certainly a trend that we're starting to see 
um, a, a lot more, particularly in B two B, but also in um, in some of the B two B sorry B two B two C brands. Bethan, do you have a B two C perspective on that? I completely agree that yeah, there's just added pressure now to kind of really understand kind of exactly what happens at all level of the funnel. And we can't, I think the danger is that you ignore the top funnel because it's harder to measure and therefore you're not filling further down the funnel. And if you concentrate too much on the performance side of things, then you're at risk of kind of, yeah, narrowing your audience too much and not doing that that brand job and getting people into the brand or the category. Mm, you've got to feed the machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Um, what about remuneration? Because, of course, when it comes to media, you can buy some media and only pay for the performance that it's optimized for. And as a marketer working in brands for many years, you know, I've been in meetings where we've um, tried to get agencies to agree to performance based remuneration. I mean, do those conversations still happen? Do you do that with any of your clients? What's your take on that? Alec? We tend to not do that. Um, and the main reason is that it can, in other agencies, in other, in other sort of walks of life, I suppose, it can incentivize the wrong thing, um, particularly if you're looking at things like um, traffic. If you're incentivized on just that one metric, then you're not looking at the whole picture, um, at the nuance of the, the quality of the traffic that you're um, sending to your site or your development of your funnel. And so, no, we, we tend not to do, to do that. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. There are a couple of our clients that we might have conversations of that level with, but it's certainly not the be all and end all. There might be an element to the contract that is based on results, but it's not to the detriment of everything else that we do. So we still deliver, you know, a level of service to the client. We wouldn't want that to be undermined because, you know, we're just solely focused on one metric. I think there's a couple of clients that we've got that we've got performance related kind of part of the contract you know it it might be you know extra additional income based on performance but it's solely not the core of of our kind of financial modeling and james you had something yeah thanks nikki i I think it's really interesting because when you start thinking about performance you know particularly in the b2b space alex as, as you said those vanity metrics are very easy to talk about impressions clicks um you know potentially number of leads and where we think and sort of focus on on driving leads, actually, we almost need to take that step back and, and sort of work out what actually is a lead, what what are the characteristics that make a good lead. So at Ernest, we do a lot of work with clients to think about the role that marketing's playing, not just to capture sort of contacts and inquiries, because someone that downloads a white paper doesn't want to speak to sales, that they're just interested in, in what you've got to say, or they're interested in the stats. So how can we have marketing sort of play the role of, of really you know, qualifying those leads, engaging those leads, warming them up, if you will, and, and making sure that, you know, we understand do they have a budget, do they have a need, is there a time element on this, the the bank qualification criteria, I guess, if you um, if you like, and, and sort of do the heavy lifting before we hand those over to sales rather than just reporting back on, you know, we've achieved X number of inquiries or we've driven, you know, 2,000 clicks through to, uh, to a landing page. I agree with all that. I also think there is a guess a time and the place to be able to buy guaranteed. So when you look at, um, say, if you're buying programmatically and you're wanting to guarantee an amount of impressions because, I don't know, it's Black Friday or you've got a sale or you've got whatever you want it to push, I do think there's a time and a place for being able to get those guaranteed outcomes. But completely agree with you don't want to just say, you know, we want to get traffic and just blast it out there and then it ends up that the bounce rate is high and people aren't converting because that quality is not there. Um, so I do think it's it, it depends on the objective and what you're trying to what what you wanted to get out of it basically 
Absolutely. Okay, let's switch it up a little bit. Um, who does performance marketing well? Obviously, you guys do. But, um, you know, can you name any good campaigns that you've done with your clients um, or even that you just admire, um, you know, as an expert within the industry? Sort of what does a good performance campaign look like? So there's a lot that I've seen in the market recently that brands are doing really well in terms of like personalization and really honing in on that user experience, depending on what stage they are within that journey and kind of tailoring it towards them. Um, at JWIN, what we're doing at the moment is we're doing a lot of work um, with clients to increase that acquisition by utilizing their first party customer data um, and how we can in- basically use that within our performance paid media strategy. So um, an example of that, I guess, is we've been looking at how we can personalize ads and speak to um, users' motivations and making it easier for them to convert. So it's almost, you know, autonomous, that kind of path to conversion, and it's convenient for them. I think convenience at the moment plays a big part in um, what brands are doing at the moment to just make sure that, you know, users convert. Um, another way, I guess, in which we've done that is um, through also using first-party data to create high-value lookalikes. Um, so basically looking at, okay, who's your current customer and how can we get more of them and how do we increase awareness um, and acquisition with those users who we know are more likely to drive, drive a higher return compared to just going, you know, mass awareness, mass market. Um so I think there's a lot of cool stuff happening out there in the market. Um, and I think tapping into your own first party data first um, is a good step um, to look at how you can increase performance within your overall um, acquisition strategy. I've got a, um, a client and a non-client example I'd like to talk about. If that's okay. So on the, on the client side, um, I don't think I can say their name, but we work with one of the UK's uh, biggest high street retailers on their, their B2B side. Um, and they are fantastic to work with and the reason that their performance marketing campaigns work so well is because of the trust that they have in us and the autonomy that they they give us and i think that that's a requirement for any business that wants to do performance marketing effectively is that trust in your team or your agency to do what they need to do and with them we're able to make decisions quickly same same day if needs be and they they sign off without any hassle where we see performance lag is businesses that have uh, slow sign-off processes a lot of red tape and so by the time we come to make those changes it, it's too late so that's that's the reason why they're successful but in terms of a, a specific campaign on a non-client example i look to to spotify i think spotify have done a really good job in uh, having a creative way to harness user data and create personalized experiences for them which is effectively at the root of what performance marketing is and um, and that is then kind of a, a self-fulfilling model. They create these experiences, users enjoy them, and they go back to listening to more music. And then from that, they've been able to create its own marketing campaign from that. You know, we've all seen the the tube ads and the billboards and things like that of the, the Spotify wrapped. And so it's this, it's this great model of performance marketing to me. But I'm quite keen, sorry, to hear from James from a B2B perspective, because what I found in, in that realm is... With B2B businesses, and especially at, at Don't Be Shy, our um, clients can often have not a lot of data points to, to work with, um, definitely not from a um, compared to B2C. Um, and so that's that's where challenges can often present themselves. So I'm wondering if, if James had any thoughts on that. Yeah, thanks, Alex. I think it's, it's always really interesting that, you know, from a... From a performance perspective, I, th- I think e-com uh, is probably looked at as doing, you know, uh, 
performance marketing quite well and it's very easy to see sort of the return on ad spend or, or the ROAS that you can get from those campaigns. But I think at Ernest, we're sort of really challenging with with a number of sort of clients because you say that there's not necessarily those, that um, that breadth of data that, that you can tap into. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's an interesting challenge to, to sort of meet. We look at monday.com as sort of a you know, non-client example to, uh, to borrow your phrase as someone that perhaps is doing a really good job in, in B2B. Um, and I think they've got a clear way of sort of articulating the benefits of, the, of their proposition. They've, they've been able to unlock pretty phenomenal growth by really honing in on that audience. And I think to your point, Hannah, as well, really personalizing the message, talking to operations directors, talking to marketing managers. And you know, I guess we've worked with a variety of, of B2B brands that perhaps are, are lesser, uh, less well-known, but it's that, that sort of principle where we're really trying to, uh, to instill on them. If you want to do performance marketing well is making sure that you're understanding the customer pain points, making sure that you're getting that right message into, um, you know, in front of them at the right place and at the right time and, and making sure that uh, you know, ultimately you're able to me- measure what's, um, what's working. Um, what do I- you think? I was just, sorry, I was just going to add to that. That's completely right. I feel like even as, I know obviously we're, we're all marketers and we work in the space, but even getting marketed to, I'm like, just make my life easier. Like, you know, like the expectation you have there on brands just to know exactly like what what stage in the funnel you're at, what, you know, what re- remarketing ads are. Like people are obviously aware of what we're doing here. And I think if if we can just make people's lives easier and more convenient, because everybody's time sensitive now, I guess that's what users are expecting. So you've got that expectation already from brands. Uh, Bethan? Yeah, I would just, without kind of repeating what everyone else has said, I just think it all comes down to kind of data. And I think the clients that we have that are doing this the most successfully are the clients that have got the most data, essentially. So I think James mentioned e-com clients. You know, we've got a handful of e-com clients here at Space and Time, and they're definitely the pioneers in performance marketing. They're the ones that are kind of really kind of on top of their data. They know their customers. They're remarketing to them effectively. They know their exact ROAS. Um, it's the clients that we have that aren't necessarily e-com, that don't have first-party data, Perhaps they, we, we work with a couple of healthcare brands, for example, that kind of rely on still kind of third-party um, retailers to sell their products. So there's a bit of a disconnect there between what we're doing and what ultimately happens from a sales point of view. And it's where we don't have that kind of first-party data that I think they're, they're struggling with, you know, or they're slightly behind from a performance marketing point of view. So, I mean, this is a challenge for all brands, I think, going forward is kind of getting that first-party data and kind of understanding how they can utilize that to kind of um, make, you know, their marketing more effective and make everything more personalized, make it more relevant to the customer um, and ultimately, you know, get better bang for their buck. I think the data piece and particularly the first party data piece is going to become really, really key as cookie-less um, advertising becomes a, um, you know, it becomes a thing next year. So I, I think that's something that brands just have to get right. There's, it's almost a non-negotiable. And I'm hearing from some of the examples as well that um, we've got to have data to feed in, but it sounds as though performance marketing also has some valuable data to feed back out. So the Spotify example, you know, was sort of giving the user a personalized experience, but then feeding that back into campaigns or even product. Um, And I heard a similar thing with ASOS, where um, they're able to see from the performance of their marketing, the trends and then get things through production and then stock up on things that are likely to peak in three weeks time 
And do you have any um, experience or examples of things like that, having to feed your data back into the product teams? Um, I've got an example of how we've fed that data back into the messaging and strategy within our ads, not to the product team and the, I guess, um, internal business. But an example of that is um, what I said before with what we're doing with a client with their utilizing their first party data is, um, again, just going back to the point in making um, that user journey a lot more autonomous and convenient. So what we've done, we've got a big beauty client that we work with and um, it's e-com. So obviously they book, um, the user would book a service um, through the website um, an appointment and obviously go to one of the um, retailers and get it get service um so what we've done there is because we're collecting that data um and based on if at the checkout point they've added a product for example or they've said they want um they want to add on another service to their appointment we've been able to gather that data and then able to serve that back to them so that we know for example Karen six months ago had this hair treatment and she also had a audit, um, added Earlaplex product to, to the car. We're then able to pull that back through so that when Karen then goes to pre-book again, we can we can say, okay, do you want to add on that Earlaplex treatment you had last time? Um, or do you want to book the same time slot you had? Because we know that Karen prefers to come in on a Saturday at 11 a.m. So it's just getting a lot more personalized and convenient to that user. Um, so that messaging is more one-on-one rather than one-to-many. Um, so that's an example how we've done that in Jira um to utilize first party data within our paid media messaging um i've not i don't know if anybody else has any examples of how they've done it i guess internally within the business and fed that data back a lot of our clients at space and time are in the kind of property sector and um, i think where it's really helped us is kind of from a although we don't um ourselves look after the creative a lot of the times but a lot of the times it really helps impact the messaging in future campaigns so kind of understanding what clients motivations are what messaging they're most likely to resonate with what's kind of pushing them over that final line um and that can feed into kind of campaign messaging in future campaigns so i think that's where it's really helped us just kind of getting that better understanding of the customer um, and in the past, you might have had to rely on kind of quality research or things to kind of really understand and get under the skin of the consumer. But now that marketing insight can always do that for you. Super smart examples. Love them. So it seems like having a really good data relationship um, and all of the um, details to do with GDPR sorted with your client before you begin so that that can flow easily and quickly backwards and forwards. What we tend to do at J when you speak to people about okay, taking that first step because you need to take that first step, whether it's now or in 10 years' time, just take the first step. You don't have to have a big transformation project and a big roadmap for this first party data um, project. So just you know, taking some kind of first step to be able to understand your data that's what we'd recommend not only you know for using it internally within the business but like Bethany said using it within messaging and your wider uh, media strategy that's really good advice um which is great because we do need some really good advice for cmos here cmos who uh, might be thinking about entering into performance marketing having maybe concentrated further up the funnel or cmos who are who are sort of doing their performance marketing but wanting to take it to the next level so um, that's really good advice um, about the data transformation projects. Are there any other kind of pitfalls um, that CMOs could avoid, uh, you know, that you could sort of um, shout out now to help the CMO uh, go into the conversation kind of knowing what to expect? 
Yeah, I think for me, yeah, I think we see a lot of businesses that really, and again, Ernest, we focus with the B2B space, businesses who really sort of flog the white papers or, or are striving to get that contact detail, that um, that lead generation. And I, th- I think because they're focusing too much at that lower end, they're sort of ignoring the, the future opportunity and, and they're thinking, you know, I guess we've got to think a little bit more about what's the value exchange between a brand and a client. And this is as true in, in the consumer marketing world where you're thinking about if someone's consuming your ads, if someone's buying your product, what's the exchange that you're having with that um, with that customer? Um, and yeah, you know, I think it's it's been really interesting as as you know for CMOs who are thinking about how to expand their um, their performance marketing programs is to look at some of the world's leading brands where we've seen perhaps a bit of a pivot away from a purely performance uh, approach. So that there's a couple of examples that we look at. I mean, everyone's probably aware of, of Google's sort of push towards um, you know, TV and to billboards in, in more of an above-the-line approach in, in media. And, and they were very much pioneers of that last-click attribution, that um, that you know, final final touch conversion point. Um, but the likes of Adidas and, um, and Airbnb have almost made a conscious decision to sort of pivot that strategy away from being purely performance-focused to look more at the brand-led um uh, the brand-led execution. I, th- I think uh, the CEO of Airbnb, uh, Brian Chesky, said they see the role as marketing as, as one of education, not just about buying customers. And I think that um, you know, at Adidas, it was their um, their CMO who, who said they were so focused on the short-term sales that they had this very um, very performance-driven approach. But when they were um, when they started to look at it, they realised that they're probably focusing on the wrong metrics. And they needed to be thinking a little bit bigger than how do we create that short-term value for shareholders and how do we start to build long-term value in the um, in the brand? Yeah, I would agree to all of that. I think that data, as great as it is, and we all come to love it, it can sometimes be, we can sometimes rely too much of it. We saw a very similar shift, I think, in marketing when digital was first introduced. And unfortunately, I'm probably old enough to know marketing before digital was around. Um, but, you know, we didn't used to know exactly how many people clicked through on an ad. It wasn't possible to click through on a TV ad. And then, you know, the introduction of TV, I mean, sorry, digital, meant that, that suddenly, because you could measure it, a lot of marketing spend suddenly shifted that way because they could see the immediate return and they knew exactly what was getting back. But then you were completely ignoring the stuff that we've spoken about earlier on, like filling that hopper at the top. And I think that's the danger of performance marketing. You can almost use, rely on data too much and get too granular to target your audience and just solely kind of be so focused on getting the lowest cost per sale or click or you know, impression, whatever your metric is, um, that you kind of ignore that upper funnel stuff and the brand and the awareness and the much kind of softer convert, um, the metrics that we've spoken about. Yeah, it's very true, isn't it? You see um, all of this like retargeting, you know, it's great for driving sales, but it's not going to drive love and loyalty and kind of brand awareness, recall and recognition. It's just not going to make your brand into a top brand, but it's, it might be good for selling things in the short term. Alex, you look like you've got something on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, I think to, to step back a little bit from um, more macro point of view, James and Bethan have both touched on things um, about CMOs ignoring certain areas. And I think one area that they can't afford to ignore at the minute is economic factors in their performance marketing, um, particularly at, at, at the moment. So uh, mid-October, the IPA Bellwether report for Q3 2023 was released. And um, in that, we saw that ad spend growth um, was the weakest it's been for, for quite some time. 
Um, and we know that when we are in a recession, which technically we're not, but we're heading towards one, um, marketers need to focus on on brand more than performance. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a brand versus performance debate. I think they, they both have a good relationship with one another. Um, but the, the main topic to consider there is just to not ignore the economic situation that we're in and how that's affecting your marketing. Um, I, I think that's a really interesting point that you make there, um, Alex, in, in terms of not ignoring the sort of brand and the performance components. And uh, another bit of sort of marketing science that we love from the B2B Institute and LinkedIn is, is they've started pioneering this idea almost of performance branding and, and how are you starting to build that awareness amongst customers to, to sort of create that long-lasting growth. And I, I think there's there's a lesson here that you know, we need to be, as an industry, better at measuring how effective our, our sort of brand awareness advertising is. Uh, you know, starting to really drill into the metrics like increases in brand search, looking at share of voice. Um, and, you know, here at Ernest, we, we sort of work as hard as we can to make sure we're able to quantify the impact that a brand campaign is having because the, the, the CPL, the cost per lead, is really easy to, um, to pull out. But when you can truly sit in front of a client and say, here's the impact of the brand campaign and here's how that's going to start to, to impact your, um, your longer-term results. I think, Hannah, you mentioned um, media mix modelling and econometrics modelling earlier. When you can start to employ some of those techniques to, to really showcase the value that you're adding, it, um, it starts to become quite powerful. And, and I think as you start to think more about the, the brand marketing piece, yeah, the, the role of creative becomes really important as well. Thinking, you know, we all know that the more impactful the creative, the, the more effective the campaign. So how can we really cut through with a message to um, to our audience? How can we do something that's emotive, that's funny, that's going to last an impression? Because it's ultimately the effective creative, you can get away with you know a much lower frequency or showing that ad far fewer times because it will become much more memorable. And um, you know, to go back to Byron Sharp, it's the first search engine is the one in your mind. So it's the first thing you think of is you know, that funny ad with the meerkats or that, um, that particular um, you know, ad with the ice cream on the beach like that's the um sorry biting the uh the tip of the ice cream on the beach um it's those sort of references that um yeah that, that you remember at the top of your uh, the top of your mind and um with the advent of ai no podcast these days can get through without mentioning ai with ai and quantum computing and all of this like newfound um power is this instantly impacting the ability to measure all these granular metrics or do you see that that's a few years away what's happening next year that was going to like be a game changer for performance marketing I think the the role of those sort of technologies is going to come in on, on a lot of the buying side and, and really the targeting side so making sure that you're able to leverage the power of something like you know, probably machine learning I think more than more than AI to to really hone how you're buying that advertising and, and making sure that, that we are getting in front of the right audience that we are starting to optimize towards our desired objectives what um, whatever they are and I think the other thing that the, the technology has and, and I think a few um, a, a few of us have alluded to it on the um, on the podcast is that um, you've got the ability to be able to more dynamically test messaging and, and test ad creative with the use of those technologies you can now personalize on a, on a very individualized scale to, to pull out um, you know, whether it be using CRM data and, and first party data to, to send emails at scale or whether it be testing dynamic messaging in advertising. Um, that, that's, I guess, one of the real opportunities that I think we have in, in the performance space or more broadly the marketing space, um, you know, certainly over the next, the next year and the next coming years. So do you think um, that, that these dynamic ads that have traditionally been 
clever, but just based on text and copy, really, will be able to include more creativity. Yeah, I think you're already seeing it now, even with digital out of home, they've got data plugins for, you know, if, if the weather suddenly changes from sunny to rainy, the messaging then changes, day part in, you've got all these data signals that are now coming into media formats, um, well, specifically digital media formats like CTV out of home, um, that you are able to just change your creative on a dime depending on what's going on in the environment. So that's definitely playing more of a part in... Um, making sure again that you, you, you're the message is right depending on the environment that the audience is in and you you know you've been able to be reactive to that yeah I don't think we're quite there yet with how personalized we can actually we will actually get with our ads and I think you know that personalized data is just going to become even more prevalent in advertising and actually it will get to the point where you know you are served an ad on your phone or whatever it is you know personalized specifically to you so not just necessarily based on remarketing to what you know clothes you've been looking at but actually you know down to your your name you know knowing so much more about you and that it's really a one-to-one kind of conversation that brands will be having with their customers yeah i think to to build on what bethan was saying as well i'd agree that we're not quite there yet i think my message would be to approach these kinds of things with with caution we can often as marketers get caught in the trap of um almost doing things for the for the sake of them being the shiny new thing and just because you can utilize this tech doesn't mean you you necessarily should yeah and i think the the final point for me on personalization i think there's so very few companies that are actually doing proper personalization well and and i sort of say this across the b2c b2b world you've got so much data on your customers that when when you can figure out how to harness that data you're going to see incredible roi so there's there's still a bit of work to do but the rewards are definitely there well we've covered a lot but we are sort of running out of time so i think it's time to do a little bit of a wrap up um if if you can sum up this conversation and the one important takeout for the cmo who who is listening um what would your key takeout be i think the opportunities within performance marketing are really exciting i think that we already come on leaps and bounds the way that we're using data we're seeing a lot clients are seeing a lot of benefits of it already and it's definitely going to be around for a while and it has a place to play within all marketing strategies going forward I would just say, um, as we've kind of referenced throughout today, is, you know, don't overly rely on just performance marketing and just make sure that it's still just kind of one part of your overall strategy um, and that you still need to kind of do kind of other stuff to bring in um, new customers into your brand, into the category to shift those softer metrics. Um, And it's, yeah, it is just one part of the marketing strategy for me. I think we've spoken a lot about um data and focusing on data but i think to again to take a more macro look at it i think my advice would be to understand your complete tech stack and its relationship with data so what tech do you have that allows you to analyze your data what tech do you have that um is a, a marketing piece of tech that, that generates data for you to analyze um how can that data be translated into the rest of your business and your, your team i think you need to look at the wider uh, stack before you can fully dive into analyzing your data properly and understanding that. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd agree with everyone, and and just sort of say, yeah, the clear objectives are so important when you're when you're looking at this. Yeah, I think 
performance is usually focused on on a very narrow audience. Um, but I think it's really important to move away and, and think about performance in terms of the whole marketing mix. So it's not just about that last click um, channel and and understand and appreciate where we're driving sort of marketing effectiveness and, and marketing performance and, and look at it through a broader um, lens. I think, you know, we know that this works. There's, there's a lot of marketing science that, that sort of tells us that, that it works. But I think there's perhaps a, a bit of an education piece for, that, uh, unfortunately, the CMOs have to do across the wider business. And, and I think that's the um, that's the, both the challenge, but also the opportunity for those that can get it right and they'll really start to see the return. Super. Well, thank you. My amazing and very experienced performance marketing guests have really um, set the record straight. Um, it's a lot about data, um, mostly and always starting with first party data, but you can bring in data from other sources, even environmental data, but don't go too crazy. Well chosen, a few data points is going to work just as well as um, having all the shiny new toys and, and going to town. So um if you need some performance marketing, you know where to come. Uh, this has been Nikki McMorrow, the head of the Drum Network, and my four brilliant guests. Um, see you on the next one. Bye.